Amen. Good morning. How's everybody? How many saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> That's what the old church used to say, right? Amen. We're so glad to see you today, and God bless you for being here. Oh. Man, worship was good, Jeannie. You did real good. It was good. I just really felt God's presence and this was ministered to. How many can agree with that? Just so great. Just want to remind you before we get too far from it that, man, they were singing that second song and third one was great. But, uh, you know, when God says it and you say, I believe it, it doesn't matter what you see or feel. That's not what faith is. Faith is not feeling. Faith is knowing. It's that confidence in God's word. And when they were singing that song, I couldn't help but think about when those 10 lepers came to Jesus and they said, Lord, you know, cleanse us, heal us. And, uh, and he just simply said to them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. The only reason that someone in those Bible times would, that had leprosy would go show themselves to the priest because the priest is the one that had to okay you to be back in society. He had to declare and observe that you were actually healed and you no longer had to be uh, ostracized and isolated in a, in a leper's colony, as they would say, but you were free to go back to your home, to your family, to the marketplace or wherever you wanted to go. You were set free. And for that to occur legally, the priest had to be the one to say it. And Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priest. And, and it's interesting, the Bible says, and as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, when Jesus first said, go, go, go to the priest, there was no outward sign that anything had happened. But they had to walk in the word. They had to do what that song said. You said it, I believe it. That settles it. That's it. And they began to walk towards where healed people would go. And as they walked in faith, somewhere along that journey, their healing manifested in the outward. Now, when did it happen? It happened when Jesus said it. But the manifestation that they could observe didn't happen until later. Y'all sit down while I preach a minute, then I'll preach. I don't want you to get too tired on me. But it happened as they walked in it. And so I just want to encourage you. This has nothing to do with what I'm preaching today, but I just want to encourage you in that. Walk in what God says. It doesn't matter what, whether you see it or not. You remember one time Jesus walked up to a fig tree. It was bearing no fruit. And Jesus, the Bible said, he spoke to the tree. And he said, cursed be this tree, bear no fruit from this day forth ever. And, and the Bible said that it was immediately dried up from the roots. Now, the disciples were all with him. They, didn't, they don't make a comment, but they, it says they heard him speak to the tree. That's kind of weird, isn't it, talking to a tree? Jesus spoke to the tree. He didn't ask God to do something. He spoke to the tree. And the Bible says the next day they were passing by that same location, and one of the disciples saw the tree, and they said, Lord, behold, the fig tree that you cursed yesterday is now dried up from the roots. And they were amazed. When did it happen? It happened when Jesus released his word. The Bible says, I've sent my word and healed them. When we speak it, it it's happened. And you walk in what God says, whether you see the instant man. I mean, that's great. That's what you call a miracle. But that's not a healing. And I believe in miracles and I've seen them and I've experienced them. And healings are instantaneous and, and they're, they're wonderful. But there, there's also healings. The Bible said that we believers would lay hands on sick people and they shall what? It didn't say they'll get a miracle, does it? It says they'll recover though. And so it takes time sometimes to recover. When you go to it, when you get sick and you go to the doctor, I always, I'm always amazed by these people that teach and believe that God puts sickness and cancers and diseases on people. If you think God's behind it, why in the world are you going to a doctor? You stay home and claim it and enjoy it. I mean, you said God's behind it. Don't go to a doctor if you think God put it on you and try to get it off of you. You're fighting against God. Just stay as sick as you can and enjoy it. You don't like that, do you? 
No, you don't believe God put it on it deep down or you wouldn't go to the doctor and try to get it off of you. But when you go to the doctor, you don't go there for a miracle. You go there for, to recover. You go home, you go spend money, you go to the, to the pharmacist, you, you pay money, you get the medicine, you take it in faith. You don't know anything about the medicine, really. You take it, they say it'll help you, you swallow it, and you believe in it. And you do it, you don't think you're going to take one pill and go, wow, I'm, I'm cured. No, you're just going to hang with it. What's your hope? To recover. How about let's just at least do that for the Word of God. Let's believe God that we'll recover and whatever, whatever's going on and just walk in it. And, and I just end with this. And it's weird, I guess, to the natural mind. I've studied the Bible so much that it's not weird to me to think this way anymore. I'm still getting worked on now. I haven't arrived someplace. But listen, the Bible never tells you when you're faced with something like that, symbolically, that fig tree. You know, he, Jesus cursed that so it wouldn't bear no more fruit. We need to curse the cancer so they don't bear any more symptoms and fruit in our life. Whatever the disease is. A lot of times we get confused though. And, but Jesus, you know, if you get technical now, and you're not going to like this, but Jesus didn't say, you guys don't worry about it, I'll heal the sick. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Until he comes back, that's what he commissioned us to do. It's called the Great Commission. He said, heal the sick. And right there, we just collapse. How can I heal the sick? You're the healer. We know that. But who lives in you, you said? The healer resides in you. So you are an ambassador for Christ. So you do what Jesus would do if he was physically present because he is more than physically present. He's spiritually present in you. Because it's Christ in you that is the hope of seeing the glory of God. And so what we do is we, we yeah, we pray for the sick, but we heal the sick. We cast out devils. We, we do the commission that he said. We preach the gospel. We declare the good news of God's kingdom. Amen? And, and so that's what he told you. So Jesus said when you're faced with a mountain, don't t tell God how big the mountain is, how bad the disease is, how, how much it hurts. Or, he says speak to the mountain. He said if anybody speak to the mountain, the mountain will be moved. I think we still get caught up in praying to God and asking him to move the mountain and we wonder why it don't work. Because God's already told us how to do it. And I know it looks weird speaking to mountains and talking to fig trees, but Jesus did that stuff. He went to Peter's mother's house and she had a fever. And the Bible says that he spoke to the fever. He spoke to the fever. He said, fever, come out of her. You talk to what's bothering you. You talk to the problem. You don't have to tell God. He's, he's, un, he's not uninformed. He knows. And he loves you more than you can imagine. And he's given you authority that you don't realize. And so just step out in faith. And we sung it today. How about let's do it? I believe. I believe. You said it. I believe it. Amen? Well, that was your little warm-up. That was what you call an appetizer before the main course. Right? Today I want to talk to you about a verse that sometimes I've gotten questions about and sometimes it bothers people a little bit. It's the words of Jesus in Matthew 10 and 22. And Jesus makes this statement. He's in a long discourse. I'm just going to read this one verse to start with. And Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, Jesus told us over and over in the New Testament that he's our master, and if they hate him, they'll also hate us. In John 15 and 18, he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, right? And so he said that, that this is going to happen to us, and, and I don't know, I'm sure probably everybody in here, and I've had people that, that have and do and will hate me simply because I preach the gospel of grace. Um, I was reading this this week, and, and out of Matthew 10, I'm going to actually read, and they won't have this because this is the, I'm going to read out of the message uh, translation. Eugene Peterson that did this, uh, it's an amazing, it, that translation is actually in American vernacular, really, but it's true to the original text. And uh, so just listen while I read out of the message translation. Bible in Matthew chapter 10 verse 21 this is what it says it says when people realize 
It is the living God you are presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good. They're going to turn on you, even people in your own family. And when, when Jesus says here an idol, when he's talking about an idol, I don't want you to think about some wooden statue in some jungle somewhere. You, you understand performance-based religion is an idol because it makes people feel good because they think they're earning something from God. They think their acceptance, so that they, they don't see righteousness like, we, like the Bible teaches is something that you receive. They see it as something they achieve. They don't see holiness as a gift. They see holiness as a target that they work all their life to try to obtain. And, and, it, and it makes them feel good if they think they're doing good. And then that in itself becomes a sin because then they become prideful and arrogant, which is, by the way, a sin, right? But he says in verse 22, this is a great irony here. Proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate, but don't quit. Don't cave in. It is all well worth it in the end. Down in verse 26, it says, do not be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. See how timely this is? Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being, save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body, and soul in his hands. I don't, boy, that translation, when I read that in light of what's going on in this world, I said, man, I got to read that. So what does Jesus mean when he said those words, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, when you first read that, and the reason that bothers some people, because at first glance, it seems like what the verse is saying, that your salvation hinges on your endurance, your ability to endure. And if you don't endure, then somehow that makes you unfit for the kingdom of God. And so what is Jesus really saying? Is Jesus saying that our new life in Christ, our life is some big probationary period in other words, that, that only those who perform and obey flawlessly uh, every day will qualify to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is that what Jesus is saying? I mean, that's not good news at all. And when you're reading this book of good news and it doesn't sound like good news, it's not because there's something wrong with it. It's something, but by the way, we're, we're, we're interpreting what we think we know. You got to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, through grace. And so Jesus is not talking about eternal salvation here but listen to me he, he he's talking about staying alive physically in the face of persecution he, he he's describing clearly what would happen to the apostles when they preached the gospel after his departure and i want to tell you this becomes so vivid and so clear when you read uh what jesus said would happen and then what happened to the apostles and listen and specifically what happened to the apostle paul now, now, listen to me. I, I grew up under this thing, and I'm going to say, I'm, you know, there's really like three little targets I'm after today. Now, I grew up in church and grew up in this, this kind of culture that, in other words, you know, the greatest thing that could happen to you is you'd be killed for Jesus, that you would be a martyr. But I noticed I never saw anybody getting in that line, lining up for it. But, but, that, but that was, you know, that, that was the thing. You know, just lay your life down, get killed, and hallelujah. But if you get killed, you don't get to preach no more. It kind of ends with that, right? And I'll tell you what Jesus said. Now, Jesus said in verse uh, 17, he said, they will hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. That's what Jesus predicted. Uh, the apostle Paul was flogged by the Jews on five separate occasions. And I can give you verses for all this, but I won't for the sake of time. Five times Paul was flogged by the Jews. Now, Jesus also said, on my account, you're going to be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. He said that in verse 18. What happened to Paul? Paul was brought before two governors, Felix and Festus. He was bought, brought before King Agrippa, and he was also eventually brought before Caesar himself, the emperor. And then he, and the Bible says he witnessed to the Gentiles also. That's Acts chapters 24, 25, and 26 is where that happened. Uh, Jesus said they're going to arrest you. 
They're going to bring you before authorities, but don't worry what you're going to say in that moment because it says the Holy Spirit of your Father will be speaking through you in that moment and give you the words to say. Did this happen? Of course it did because Paul's words to these kings, to all these people, to these Gentiles, those words that Paul said were made into Scripture. In other words, those words made it into the Bible, so they must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit for them to be recorded. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, Jesus said, brother will betray brother to death. Uh, Paul's Jewish brothers tried to kill him in a town called Lystra, and they plotted his murder while he was in Jerusalem. Everything Jesus said happened, and it specifically happened to other apostles, but it all happened to the apostle Paul. Uh, Jesus said, all men are going to hate you. Man, Paul was a hated guy. Uh, when you are persecuted, Jesus said in verse 23, in one place, now listen to what Jesus said. He said, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Now we get this image as Christians that we're supposed to stand there and be like Rambo and fight it out with them. And if we die, we die. That's a spirit of stupid. But that's not what Jesus taught. He said, when they persecute you, flee. You know what flee means? That's not what goes on dogs. It means run. It means get out of there. So Paul typically, in the Bible, over and over, he left any place where persecution fired up. And I give you the references to all of them. So how in the world do we endure to the end? Now listen, sometimes there's a time to take a stand, and sometimes, like Jesus said, there's a time to flee. Uh, if men are coming at me with torches and pitchforks, it's time to get out of Dodge. <laughs> are you with me? Uh, it's better to live to fight another day than to satisfy their desire for blood in that moment, right? Now, remember when the disciples went into a certain town to get, get the town ready for Jesus' arrival to come and minister and preach? And remember, John was outside the city limits and, and was saying, they won't allow us to come in. They don't want you. What did Jesus do? Did he say, well, by God, I'm going in there anyway. No, he said, and, and, and Peter was upset. Remember, he said, let us pray down fire. And burn this place to the ground. He wanted to go Rambo on him, didn't he? Jesus looked at John. He said, you don't even know, man, what kind of spirit you're in here. I didn't come to kill people. I came to save people. So you know what Jesus did? He didn't go to that town. He changed his, went to another town. See how easy that was? See, uh, in Lystra, that town, Paul was dragged out of the city uh, he, was, he was stoned and left for dead. That's Acts 14 and 19. And, and, and he did return back to that town, but he left the next morning. It says he departed the next day to a town called Derby. Now, now, what if Paul hadn't have done that? Paul's like, they drug me out. They stoned me and left me for dead. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not welcome here. So he left that town. See, this is kind of different, but he left the town. He went to another city named Derby. But if Paul had not had the wisdom to do what Jesus said to flee, uh, th then that could have been the end of Paul right there, and we would have had a much thinner New Testament today because he wouldn't have had much to write because he wouldn't have been here to write it. Are you all with me? And so this, thing, this the same thing happened in Thessalonica in Acts 17. And, and so Paul was there. A trouble started brewing in that city, and Paul left before it got out of hand. Uh, then he went to Ephesus. He stayed there for two years. But then one time he was ministering, and a great riot in the city broke out in Acts 20 and 1, and Paul left the city. He left the city. In other words, when you're faced with the, the chance of mortal destruction, Paul walked away and he lived and endured to be able to stay alive and to preach another day in another place. Are, are y'all listening to me? And, and so Paul, to me, was one of the bravest men uh, in the Bible. Uh, but he was no fool. And, and he knew that a dead apostle serves no one. And, and the best way to keep preaching the gospel is to be alive the next day. <laughs> are y'all with me? See, Paul was persecuted, but when persecution came, he did what Jesus said. He moved on, and he endured and stayed alive and stayed safe. Um, so I've never even preached on this that I'm preaching on before. In all the years I've been preaching, I've never uh, doing what I'm doing. 
But man, I do feel like and I do see persecution on the rise in this nation against people that believe in Jesus Christ. And specifically against people that declare the grace and the goodness and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I see that persecution thermometer rising rapidly. And, uh, and the good news, in other words, when you declare the good news of God, I've always been amazed at this since, you know, some 10, 15 years ago when I really just made grace the emphasis because I saw that that's what, that's the message. That's the good news. And when I begin to declare that people are forgiven already, where they're saved, God's forgiven. He took away the sin of the world. When I begin to preach that, oh, my goodness, it's the hatred. I mean, when, listen, when you really preach the truth of God's grace, things are going to shift and change. Um, always in the Bible, to me, the greatest grace preacher other than Jesus was the Apostle Paul. And, and man, when he preached grace, that's why all the riots broke out. He's preaching the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the goodness of God, and people want to kill him for it. I mean, the preaching of God's grace has always called, uh, caused a, a hostile reaction from particularly religious people and, and, and from oppressive governments like the Roman government that was in charge of them. And, and I want to tell you, uh, uh, nothing really has changed since the Bible days. Uh, Jesus knew that if they persecuted him, they would also persecute you and I. And, and while Jesus, listen to me, Jesus had, his mission was to come here to, to die. He came to go to the cross and to give his life. But now listen, by you dying, that's not going to add one thing to Jesus' finished work of Calvary. The, mission, the missionaries wouldn't like his sermon. But I'm telling you that you dying it's not going to add anything to the work of Jesus to the cross. I mean, it may be admirable. We may, my God, they gave their life for Jesus. Hallelujah. And, you know, and, and it, when it comes to, if it came down to, you know, I'm going to kill you or you deny Jesus, then I'm just going to have to take the bullet. I believe I, I believe I would have the strength not to deny that I even know Jesus, if, even if it cost me my life. Man, I, you see them grandchildren sitting on that front row. I wouldn't even, I, I mean, I just know I wouldn't even think I'd give my life for them. Man, if something happened, I mean, I would, I would I'd jump in front of the bullet, man. That's how much I love them. And I believe I'd do the same if it came down to it with Jesus. But I'm not going to run towards it. You hear what I'm saying? And, and, and for, for far better, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he gave us that example to live and preach another day and not to die at the hands of some lunatic. Um. Especially if your kids are depending on you. They need you to come home at night after the revival. Hallelujah. Um, I want to tell you, man, our world, and you know this, our world that we live in, and we see it every day. If You you know, I, I'm a person that don't get much news. I don't want much, but I get sometimes more than I want. People sometimes make sure that I get it, so they'll send it to me. Appreciate that. I love these people on Facebook that always post in the weather like we don't all have a weather app. Sorry if you do that, but hey, I have a weather out. I see the storm coming. I don't need your post. Hallelujah. I'm good. Anyway, uh, but our world is marred terribly today with violence and greed and, and all the fruits of sin. And, and, and what this world, just like I preached last Sunday, what this world desperately needs is not a revival, but a revelation of Jesus Christ and his grace. And a revelation of how much he loves us and loves them. And, and, and that's, that's, what we got to, that's what we got to declare. So how, how do we live, according to the scripture, at peace in a hostile world? Because I tell you, I believe what I'm preaching today, what I'm declaring to you is, is really important. And it's going to be more important in the days to come. I mean, people are mean. They, they, don't, they don't like when you mess with their stuff. Uh, J Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 12, when you go to some place to, to share the, the good news, to share the gospel, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said when you go into this place, you go into a home, he said, let your peace rest on that place. You, you release your peace. You, 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 you say peace to this home, right? Now, now, some people, they read that in Scripture, 
And they go, man, that's an odd thing look like to, you know, for somebody to say. Well, not really. You ever watch TV? Did you grow up on TV like me? I mean, so you would see these, these uh, strangers, uh, visitors or whatever, coming from a faraway place. And so these people that are watching them approach them. They don't know what these people's intentions are. And, and then we would be watching the program or the movie, and the people that are coming and approaching, they would say, we come in peace, right? We come in peace. And so then the people would kind of relax a little bit because they know they had peaceful intentions, right? And so that's the way it is with us. When you go to some place or you're talking to someone or whatever it is, whether it's one person or a group or, or whatever, I mean, you come in peace. You, you didn't come to, to start a war. You, 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 you know, when you, that's what we need to say. We come in peace. <laughs> and and that, that's how it is. We, listen, we don't come swinging swords like Peter did in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus. Now, given, that's a wrong, man, that's a kind of a wrong thing that these, this Roman government authority is doing. They are arresting Jesus. They come with a whole uh, squadron of soldiers, and they got, you know, the Sanhedrin. I mean, they're all coming. And we talked about that, and I've, told, I've talked about this a lot because I believe it gives us a prophetic picture of the heart of Jesus. And so Peter immediately pulls the sword. And, of course, you know, I always believe he's going for the guy's head. He's going to try to cut his head off. And the guy ducks, and he, and he gets his ear, and he cuts his ear off. There's no way Peter is that good with a sword. I'm just going to cut your ear off. That'll show you. No, he's going for the guy's neck, for his throat, and the guy just ducked and lost an ear. And the guy's ear literally falls to the ground. Now, this is a, this is, this is a chaotic, tense scene. And, and, and they, they had asked Jesus, are, are, are you the Christ? And, and he said, I am which is the name of God. I've told you this. And when, when Jesus said, I am, they all, the Bible said, all those soldiers fell backwards. So don't get knocking on people because they don't believe people fall out in the spirit. All those Roman soldiers fell out in the spirit and they wasn't there to be any hand meeting. Hallelujah. They just fell out anyway. Come on, somebody. I don't mean nothing about being here. I'm just saying. They, but they all fell down. And, and so and, and that demonstrates the power that this man had that they're trying to rest. And, he's, and, and I believe he's saying to them, if it wasn't my father's will, you couldn't touch me. Just want you to be clear on who's got the real power here. And, and Peter immediately pulls the sword, goes into riot mode, and he's going to kill everybody. And the ear falls to the ground. And I always thought it was so amazing when I saw it in Scripture that Jesus would take the time to reach down, pick up the guy's ear, does a creative miracle and restores his ear and then he is bound and goes with these soldiers. Now, how do you arrest a guy that just picked up, picked up a guy's ear and did a creative miracle? I, you got to see God's purpose in this. And, 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 and the message, I believe, the, the, the reason we have that I, the, in the Bible, the sword always represents the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of the Lord. It, the Bible says that clearly, and, and, and that's the word of God. It's God's sword that goes forth. I, I believe Jesus is saying that I took the time to restore this guy who is a lost guy, this guy's ability to hear the gospel. And, and, and I believe God was telling me and you, don't misuse the Bible. Don't use it as a weapon. Don't cut off peoples by your meanness and your hatred and your anger. Don't use the Bible and verses and scripture because all that's going to do is cut off the people's ability to hear the truth that will set them free. I've never met one person that was argued into the kingdom of God. That there was an argument and when you got through arguing, they go, oh, okay, I'll accept Jesus. I've never met one person who was argued into the revelation of the grace of God. You know, it's not going to happen. Man, I wish I knew this when I was 20. I remember when I was a paramedic and I was, you know, we was there 24 hours. A lot of time we were there 48 hours, depending on what was going on in our shift. I remember this guy used to come. He, he worked in town. He was a businessman and he was actually an insurance guy. He had some insurance with some of our uh, paramedics on, on duty. And he would come by, but he was a great believer. He loved the Lord tremendously, and he was really kind of in your face. 
kind of a Christian guy. And, and, and man, and I was just getting going in ministry and, and I was studying the Bible every day like it was somebody's going to take the book from me. You know what I'm saying? And, and this guy would come in, and, and we and we, and we would we would uh, talk slash argue the scriptures because this guy came in, and in those days, in my early days, in my early twenties, man, I had it all figured out. I was like, okay, here rapture's going to happen, and then three and a half years later, here comes the antichrist, and then he's going to take over, and then another three and a half years, and then it's going to be boom, 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 and, you know, and all that, and that's you know. But this guy was a weird guy. I had never met when he was a mid-trib guy. And I was a pre-trib. And he said, we weren't going to leave to the, to the middle of the three and a half. And I said, we leave them before it starts. And, and, and we would sit there for hours and, you know, sling scriptures back and forth. He loved it. I loved it. We're jockeying the scriptures, you know. And when all the dust settled after many times of doing that, you know, he was still a mid-trib guy when he left. And I was still a pre-trib guy. And today, I ain't a no, I'm a no-trib guy. Tribulation's not in your future. It's in your past. And if that confuses you, You'll have to get some CDs that Johanna can help you with. But it, 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 anyway, but so we, we would do that. Now, what is I'm older and more mature now, what I think about now is when I look back on those days, we were sitting around a big table we had in our, what we called our day room where all the paramedics hung out. I thought about all those lost dudes, man, those lost guys that were sitting around watching me and this guy spar with the scripture. They don't, know, they don't know nothing about what we're talking about. They ain't got a clue about none of that. And they're just listening to us debate the scripture. I don't think they, none of those guys left there. I, had, I didn't, never had one of those guys after we left said, could you tell me more about Jesus? Can, I, can you tell me how to get saved? They didn't want nothing to do with it because to them that was just religion. It was so confusing. This guy believes this, this guy believes that, this guy believes And none of that mattered. Do you know it really don't matter what you believe about all that? What matters is that your faith and confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what matters. I, I, I remember my, my, my wife had, had aunt, you know, and she's still alive today. And, and man, and I don't mean this mean by no means. You know, look at her. She's look, they're looking at each other like, oh, God, here he goes. Uh, I won't call her name. But Jill knows when we were f first married and young, you know, man, I was so aggressive. I was an aggressive Pentecostal guy. Buddy, I believed in all the gifts, and I still do the Spirit. But, man, I wanted you to speak in tongues, you know, because that's what they told us you're supposed to do. And, man, she's Baptist to the bone. I mean, she's bone marrow Baptist. And so she would come for these visits, and she was an aggressive Baptist. Well, you get an aggressive Baptist up against aggressive Pentecostal, buddy. You got some fireworks going on. And I remember, you know, me and her, you know, because she, she won't pick a fight, so I fight with her. I'll go shoot a mosquito, shoot a mosquito, Shundai, Suzuki, Kawasaki on you. I'll, I try to convince her that speaking in tongues is up to date. She'd try to convince me that's of the devil, you know. And we neither neither one of us ever changed our view on that, and 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 it didn't matter. I remember one night we was going at it at Jill's parents' house, and I don't remember who it was. Somebody ended up crying. It wasn't me or her, but it was somebody observing the scuffle, the religious scuffle that was ensuing, because we would get kind of heated with it. Ridiculous. Well, if I had that to go over again, I, I wouldn't do any of that. And so I'm recommended you don't do that either. Because you're not going to do, it's not going to accomplish anything. That's not what matters. It's not what matters. You have to speak in tongues. You don't have to do anything you get to. Move on. Move on. And, and, and so how are we going to live at peace as believers when all this stuff's going on in this world? And it doesn't seem like it's getting any better in that regard. And the persecution to me seems to be Elevating itself and the threats seem to be getting more escalated and more violent in, 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 in nature. And so uh, wherever we go, like Jesus said, you, you speak peace. You come in peace. You release that peace. And Jesus said if, you're, if they don't receive it, then you take your peace back. And the next verse said, he said, shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next town. 
You, you don't stay there and argue with people. Uh, because, see, what we're presenting is a radical alternative of anything this world has to offer. It's a message of hope. It's a message of healing. It's a message of peace. It's salvation. We're, we're, we're there with good news. Now, if you don't want to hear good news, then, you know, you can get bad news. But that's all some people want to hear. <clears throat> and so Paul said uh, in Romans 12 and 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's the Bible. That's not Brother Dale's opinion. <clears throat> that's the word of God. So Paul said, as far as it's going to be depending on you, be at peace with people, man. And man, uh, for far too long, Christians and Christianity has been associated, uh, unfortunately, with the image of bloodied crusaders, you know, shoving this. And, and, but, the, but the true sons of God, Jesus said, are peacemakers. Um. Man, our aim, my aim, is to live at peace with everybody. Uh, there ain't nothing worse to live in a neighborhood where you, you're at war with your neighbor. I want to live at peace. Um, when that's not possible, and there's times, Paul said, as much as it depends on you. There's times that you can desire and long for and want peace more than anyone, and the person on the other side don't want peace at all, and they don't care what you say, they're coming for war. Well, when that happens, it's time to move on. It's time to change the subject. Uh, it's time to change the conversation. It, it, it's, it's, time to move, it's time to, well, move to another, you know. In other words, you're not, your effort's not in that town then. Um, now, now over, the, over these last years, I can't tell you how many times that people, see, there's a lot of, I don't mean this like I'm a somebody, but there's a lot of people that listen to me that don't come here, that physically don't even live here, that lives in other states. There, there's, there's people that listen to me and they routinely comment or, or send me a messages or come through Facebook Messenger to me. And I can't tell you how many of them, I'm thinking specifically, but I won't identify even what state he lives in, but, but uh, I've had where people, you know, they've gotten a hold of it. I mean, uh, they, they've got the revelation of God's grace. I mean, they, to, they've come into the revelation that they are forgiven, that they are eternally forgiven, that God keeps no record of their sin against them anymore, which is the Bible. But they've come into that revelation that they are totally forgiven. They get so excited about that. And, and they're loved by God. They've got a hold that God loves me. It's not based on my performance. It's based on him. And, and, and man, they, they, they just, they're, they're so excited about that. And then they go back to share it. Now I'm talking to one brother that shared it in his church. Didn't go good. And after he, he had an opportunity to share, uh, he shared, he was sharing really the message that we preach and declare. And, and afterwards, uh, a few days later, he, he was told by the pastor that, that you are presenting an unbalanced version of God's grace and don't do that no more because you're out of balance. They, they, they always say, you know, like, the Bible says Jesus, you know, he came, Jesus was the, the fullness of grace expressed. He, it, it, the Bible says he, Jesus came in John 1 full of grace and truth. But see, what they'll do, they'll take that verse and they'll say, well, we believe in grace, but we also believe in truth. When they say that, they're meaning we believe in the law. Because to them, the law is truth. And the Bible said in Romans 10 and 4, Jesus is the end of the law to them that believe. The Bible says that Paul wrote the law is not for the believer. It has nothing to do with you. So no, you can't put the Ten Commandments up in my yard. God put the Ten Commandments in a box called the ark, sealed it, put a mercy seat on top and said, never look at it. One time in the Bible, people stole the ark, the Philistines, they cracked the lid and 30,000 died in the Old Testament. Pretty interesting story. You wonder where Indiana Jones, they got their stuff for the Bible. They got it out of the Bible. Don't crack the lid. You saw what happened to them soldiers and don't do it. And, and God put the ark, uh, put the law in the ark and sealed it with blood and, and, and said, don't look at it. And all we try and do is stick it in people's face as if putting it on the wall somewhere is going to make people live in, you know, live up to it. 
we went to Jill's to see her parents, you know, a couple weeks ago, and, and, and we were coming back, Jill and I, and we stopped at a restaurant. It was a wonderful place, you know. <laughs> as soon as we walked in, man, they're like giant Ten Commandments. Say where you look, Ten Commandments. Ten, and Jill, you know, she couldn't resist the temptation, you know. She said, look here, look. Just wanted to, you know, because she knows what that aggravates me. I said, well, I'm hungry. I'm still eating here. <laughs> Ten commandments or not, hallelujah. But their intentions are good. And you could tell, obviously, the owners of that place obviously love Jesus. And, and that's all they know. But that's not how you get people saved. You know, they're not going to read the list because nobody keeps the list. And I always find that amazing. I keep the Ten Commandments. You are a liar. You do not, never have, never will. And out of all ten that you've got wrote up there, it's God's word I believe in. It, I mean, the law is, the problem is not with the law. The law is not wrong. It's just that man's inability to keep it is what the problem was. And the only one out of the ten that, that God said, remember this one. If, you, if, you, if you're going to remember, remember this one is to keep the Sabbath. And the Sabbath starts Friday night at 6 and Saturday night at 6. And if you do anything between that time period, you have broken the law. And here goes Scripture. And the Bible says if you break one commandment of the law, you are guilty of breaking all of the law. Good morning. We're glad you're here. And you know what that leaves you in? In need of a Savior who will give you grace. <laughs> Amen. And Jesus kept the law and fulfilled it on your behalf. And then he credited your account of keeping the law through him. What a wonderful Savior and what a wonderful gift. Amen? Amen. Well, <clears throat> I've had those people, you know, say, man, I, I realize that God really loves me and, and he's forgiven all my sins. And I tried to share it with my friends, my family. I tell them about it and they look at me like I'm crazy. And sometimes I get mean reactions from it. They said, they said to me, you know, one guy said, what's going on, Pastor? Well, I mean, if, if it's the truth and I'm telling them, why don't they get it? Well, what happened is it's a wedge of truth that is beginning to divide, like Jesus said, fathers from sons, mothers from daughters. Listen, it's not pleasant, but it happens. Uh, those, listen to me. Those who have seen grace, once, listen to me. Once you have seen the grace of God, you cannot unsee it. How many of you are like me? You're ruined now in a good way. <laughs> you, you cannot unsee the grace of God. And now your ears and your heart is attuned to the truth. And then when you hear it and it's not grace, boop, boop, the radar goes off. And you go, man, I just can't accept that. I, I just can't. I love the people. I'm Our family name is on brass at the end of the pew. I probably should be sitting there because we bought the pew. But I just can't go back to that church where they preach law. I can't do it where there's mixture. I just can't do it. So I've got people in different cities and different places in the country that tell me, oh, God, you know, please, you know, we, we can't find a church. Do you know of a church, Pastor Dale, that preaches the grace of God? I got one guy, you know, out in Texas that's gone to several churches. And, just, and you would think in the city it's much bigger than Austin. They'd find somebody that, I mean, I've, I've had people to drive here. I had, John knows, I had one time I had 25 people from, from, from a different city around here, about an hour away, to set up a meeting. I was afraid to take the meeting because it looked like a mob to me. I didn't think I could beat off 25 people. And I remember I'd never heard of these people. And they said, we've been listening to your podcast for over a year about the grace of God, and we can't find any place, and we just want to come, and we got some questions, and we want to talk to you. I initially told the staff I'm not going to take the meeting, and they had to talk me into it. John knows this is true. They had to talk me into taking the meeting. I said, well, I'm going to take the meeting. I want, you know, Pastor Martin in there with me because he's a big guy. He can help me beat off a few. And so, and then I, I was having uh, lunch that day with Pastor John Lewis, who is one of our churches in our network and, and one of my spiritual sons. And, and so I was having lunch with him that day, and I told him about the meeting that was going to happen that uh, evening, that afternoon late. And he said, can I come? And I said, yeah, Mortimer, come on. And so me and him and Pastor Martin was in there, and we had all these people come. And they just filled up my office. And I'd never seen any of these people in my life. And they were, you know, people I'd say in their early 20s, and then I had people like over 65. And 
just a whole group of them, 20, 25 of them. And so I, we, they all assembled. We was all crowded, had chairs all in there. And I said, well, who wants to start it? Y'all, y'all called for the meeting. Who wants to start? And they kind of looked at one another. And I'm, I'll never forget a lady, uh, you know, probably in her 50s or something. I don't know. She just started talking. And she, and she burst like a dam with emotion and tears. Her heart was so full. I had another lady that was in the meeting that said she was coming to church here on Sunday morning. And she was actually a secretary at a, at a church on staff, which had Sunday night service. And she was so touched by the message of grace that people shared with her and her family that had been listening to me. And then she started listening, and then she saw it, and she couldn't unsee it. She couldn't unsee it. And she told me in that meeting, she said, I would come to your church on Sunday morning and sit in the back and listen to your messages. And she said, I was so moved by it. And she said, then I would go back to my church because I'm on staff there. I'm the secretary. I got to go to church there. It's my job. She was there 14 years. And she said, I'll go there on Sunday night, and it's like a whiplash. Her words, not mine. She said, because I'll go there with you and the grace of God and the goodness of God, and I go there, and there's threats, and God's going to get you and stuff like that. And she said, one of the favorite sayings of our pastor is, don't make me roll you down front. And I said, I don't understand. What does that mean? She, seemed, she says to mean for, to roll you down front in a casket and he has to preach your funeral. She said, he says it all, always, often. Not a month goes by, he doesn't say that. Don't make me have to roll you down front. In other words, that God will kill you and I'll have to preach your funeral. She just said, I can't do that no more. You know what she did? She resigned her job. Grace will cause you to change where you work. Grace of calls, calls where you're not invited to Thanksgiving dinner at Mama Nims no more. There is a high cost to free grace. It costs you. It's cost me. Because I don't threaten people that God's going to make you baby sick and you have to go to the doctor and get your money, that God's going to get it one way or the other, or that you're under a curse now because you don't tithe and give and you're under curse and you're smitten by God and everything you touch is going to hell in a handbasket. Because I don't threaten people financially anymore, then we don't have the offering levels that we used to have at this Grace Church. We believe in tithing. We believe in giving. But we don't pay tithes here. That is non-biblical. You pay them tithes because you owe it to God. And if you don't pay them, God will get it one way or the other. See, I lived under that, grew up under that. And you can scare people and beat the hell out of them and dangle them over hell and threaten them with their finances. And, man, people will just pile out money for that. I drive around this town and I see churches that are big and they're not struggling financially. And they ain't nothing but law givers and law preachers. But they got them people scared to death. And But they writing them checks. But what we do here is we don't pay a bill that we owe to God. We give honor to God. We honor. That's why you see that worded very carefully by me. We honor the Lord with our. To me, in grace, a tithe is just where I start. It's just where I start. That's what you, and you don't hear me talk about finance as much. I need to. I hadn't talked about it in a long time. But when you liberate people and you just and you don't you don't go to Malachi three and ten, and you don't tell them you're a curse with a curse and all that because that's old covenant, y'all. But every New Testament preacher I know goes to that and uses that as a sword to, 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 to extract money out of his congregation. And when they hear me teach the grace of God, which I did a whole chapter in my book, by the way, on this subject. And, 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 and when they hear me teach about it, and I've sat with pastors, when they hear me teach, they are terrified at my teaching on giving. Because God loves you whether you give or don't. Now, it'd be foolish to say there's not a difference in planting and reaping and, and all, all that. I mean, there's rewards, but you're not earning anything for salvation. Jesus wasn't lying when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I, I believe God knows what you're doing in the whole financial arena. Me and Jill were sitting in 
boy cans, I'm just going to say this. I hate to even tell stuff like this on one hand, but I want to provoke you, like Paul said, with works. And we were sitting there in the, right at the booth. It was just her and I, weeknight, and uh, catching, you know, quick supper. And I could hear, I couldn't help but hear the family over there. And the guy had three kids, his wife, young couple. And I could hear them as they ordered, and they were concerned about the price of this and that. And man, my heart just went out. Because I've, I've had three kids, and I've been that guy. <laughs> and uh, so when they came with my check, I just told the waitress, I said, I want to pay for their meal. And uh, so I did that. And, and we, we, were, we were long and gone before they ever even knew it. And I love that part of it. But they never even saw the dude that paid for their. I didn't run over there with a Christian card say, I'm Pastor Dale. I just want to bless y'all. Just, if you got to do that, then don't do it. But I didn't let my left hand know what my right hand was doing. That's pretty secret. That's what Jesus said. And, and, and so we did that. And, and, and I wouldn't even mention it to you, just, just encourage you. There's all kinds of ways to help people. That didn't go in an offering plate, but it still went to the Lord. God said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it to me. You know, I didn't need to see the guy's reaction. You know, I like being like, you know, who was that masked man? I like being that guy. I like being that guy. <laughs> so last Sunday, I preached to you guys. I go over here to El Paso uh, Mexican food. You can tell we like Mexican food because she was born in New Mexico, and all her family. You just. I remember when they when I first met her and they moved into South Georgia, and they're all from out west. Back in 1980, I never heard of a taco. All I heard of was turnip greens, black-eyed peas. I didn't, I didn't know, and I remember I said to her one time when we first started dating, I'd go over there and they'd have enchilada. I never even heard of enchilada. I didn't know what that stuff was. And I slowly started getting acclimated to it. But I, I went over one time and said, don't y'all have regular food in this house? No, they don't. It was, it, that's just the way, and that was long before the days they would eat. They wouldn't eat no Taco Bells in those days. And, and, and so you could tell we like Mexican food. And so last Sunday I'm sitting over there. And, and my daughter and, and son-in-law came, and, and we was all eating, and and we and we got up, you know, get ready to leave, and uh, and the waiter said there was a guy over here paid your paid your meal for you. I looked at Jill. I said, "Look at there, Papa done brought that back to us." And and it was Mexican restaurant for Mexican restaurant too. How about that? I mean, it was kept it in the same wheelhouse. Hallelujah. And I didn't do that to, to have my meal paid, but I can't help but to see that God's at work there. I said, the Lord, and you know, the, and, and my bill was a whole lot more than I paid for them peoples that we did. <laughs> we was a herd that day. Okay. See, once you've seen grace, the most wonderful thing is that God gifted you to see it. You've had eyes to see it, and you can't unsee it. I just want to tell you, and I hate this like this, but those who haven't seen it can't see it. I, I'm not saying they can't ever see it, but I'm just saying don't get into an argument with them. Don't try to prove your point. You're not going to argue into this revelation. And so what you do is you, your best approach is to just say, Holy Spirit, would you please help me and reveal to me how to share your grace in situations like this? And you just see what God does. Um, the best approach is just rest on God. And, and just, God may impress your heart to say something that you don't even think applies, but God will lead you on a journey that will lead you right to their heart. Sometimes it's just an act of kindness done to them. You know, people are pretty smart. They can smell when you're trying to just get a, you know, put another notch on your belt. That they can smell when you're trying to do something nice just because you're a Christian and you're trying to, don't try to, that manipulation doesn't work in this. But just love people. I told you over the years, I don't know how many times I've seen where I've been at that gas pump and I've, and I've seen people or watched them or they seem to me visually to be struggling. And I've just simply said, could I get that for you? 
And they're amazed by that. And I don't ever say I'm a preacher. I told you a story before. I did this one time with a lady, and, and I said, can I? And I saw her. She just put like $2 in there, $3. And she shut it off. And, uh, and, and she made the comment to me. She looked around the pump, and she said, I don't know what we're going to do if this gas keeps going up. And so she started it. Not my fault. And uh, I, I said, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to buy it if we're going to ride, no matter what it costs. But I said, I'm going to go, and it was where I was going to go in and give them my uh, card because I had something else to get in the store. And I, I said, uh, would you just wait right here for me? And she said, say something else. That's what she said to me. I'll never forget. She said, say something else. And I said, what do you want me to say? She said, I, I, your voice. She said, I recognize that voice. And in those days, this was years ago, when I was at Cornerstone, we was on TV. We were on TV all over. We were on TV every Sunday morning on Channel 10. And uh, she said, I heard, I watched you on TV the other day. She said, I know that voice. And I, was, I had a baseball cap on, you know, I was, I was not preacher material. And she said, are you that pastor? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, and then she just went off, you know. And I said, can I do something for you? I said, I want to fill your car up. And she started crying. And I just filled her car up. And she started crying. And then she, when she got through, and, and the whole time I'm pumping, I'm pumping in her car, tears are running down her face. She was a lady that moved up here from Miami, Florida, she told me. She had three children. One was in a wheelchair. She, she went through a horrible divorce, moved here just to get away from that guy. And she said, uh, do you allow people in wheelchairs to come to your church? It broke my heart. I said, yes, ma'am, we sure do. And she said, and it was like a Monday or Tuesday, I said, we had Wednesday night service. We did in those days. I said, you're welcome to come. We, 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 we you know, had service, and there she came. And her two sons were big strapping teenage guys. And I'll never forget, they walked up to me after the service. Both of them stood there. And, and they said, uh, you the preacher that helped my mama and, and I said yes sir. and he said I want you to know how much that blessed us and uh, he said would you pray for me and my brother so I sure will that was all a God moment that just happened because of an act of kindness and generosity the New Testament speaks that you and I are in a kingdom of generosity and we're to move in a spirit of generosity and it's in the church, yes. Because if you guys don't give and people don't give and support, somebody says, I don't believe in tithing. Well, you better thank God somebody does because this building would not be here and we would not be assembling if somebody didn't believe in tithing here. I mean, it just, it's just a fact. That we, if, if there were not tithers that believed in that, we would not be here anymore. There would be no preaching. There would be no church. There would be no physical building. They would, I would be off the air. So... We, we all together decide whether this message goes forth or not. And unfortunately, it takes finances. And God's always provided. And we trust him and we love him. And we think, and, 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 and we need people to just believe in the mission and to do that. And you saw me, if you looked up here, I mean, I don't uh, do no show. I mean, I didn't start tithing because I became a preacher. And I've been tithing since I was 19. And I'm none the worse for it. Okay, so, but God's, God don't hate you. You're not under a curse. The only thing you're under is a blessing. That's just a fact. You're under a blessing. And, and I'm, I would never use any kind of threat or anything to manipulate you to give. I, I'll never do that. And if it, if it goes under, it'll go under. But I, I, I'm not going to pull out the guns and put it to your temple. And, you know, when I was on TV, we was on TV at Cornerstone, I'm telling you, it was costing thousands. I never one time sold a prayer cloth, <laughs> snake oil, or any other thing. I never one time asked people to give to my TV ministry. And I never one time uh, told people, if you don't give, you know, quick, I'll be off the air next Sunday. We were on always in, in this area. I was on for years out of Savannah because I had churches in Savannah. I was on for a year in Dallas, Texas. I was on for over a year in Atlanta. 
because we had these brokers would come and say, we put you on Atlanta for a week. And we had a real professional program. I need to, we need to get one of those things out one Sunday and play it for you, you know. And y'all see how young I was or how old I am, whichever way you now. But we had a 30-minute TV program, and, uh, and, and it was professionally done. And it wasn't something that I ever desired to do. My elders would not leave me alone until we went on TV. And, and Pastor Keith would know that's the truth. I had one elder that kept wanting to get the cameras and stuff like that. And, and, and we finally got them. And then I said, but y'all going to practice with them for like a year before we ever. I was not going to go on TV looking like we had an RCA home camera. I just wasn't doing it. If we couldn't do it at the same level of everybody else, we wasn't going to do it. And we did. And in fact, when I got into it, I found out Channel 10 won't even take you NBC affiliate unless it's got to meet their standards. You know, and so, but, but that's another story. But I'm saying all that took finances, and yet, I mean, God provided for it. I had somebody the other day walked up right out of this congregation, and, and, and God didn't know none of that. He, with tears in his eyes, you know, he said, he said I don't, I don't want to hardly ever do this. I don't ever speak to people. I mean, the guy couldn't be here this morning. But he said, I just want to tell you, I believe you're going to be, you know, you're going to be on TV. And I said, well, I've been there before. He, he was so amazed. He said, I, I believe God's going to put you on there again there. He said, I feel like I'm just supposed to tell you that. Don't discount that. Believe for it. I went home and told Jill that, you know. I'm, hey, I work for him. Whatever he wants to do, I'm, I'm for it, you know. Um, I'm, I'm done with this. Let me just say this, and I'm, I'm done. The, the gospel of peace that you and I proclaim, uh, it, we're not to dig in and engage in a religious holy war. Uh, again, I want to say this again, third time now. You're not going to get people saved by arguing with them. Uh, the, listen, the last thing that an angry and violent world needs is an angry and violent Christian screaming at them and telling them that they're going to hell and telling them that they're you know, a piece of trash. Or, that's not going to change their view of God or you. So could we just please focus on what Jesus called us to do and like I said last Sunday, what we're going to major on at Grace Point is we're not going to get into arguments with you what we're against. I mean, we are against some things. And I don't know if you've read your Bible all the way through, but in Proverbs, there's things that God says he hates. He doesn't hate people, but he hates things. It says in Malachi, God hates divorce. He loves divorced people, but he hates the trauma and the hurt that a divorce does to family and friends and kids. He hates that. Because God loves his kids. Like I would hate something that would harm my children. I hate that thing that would hurt them. Or hurt, but, but, but God doesn't hate the person. God hates, it says in Proverbs, a lying tongue. God hates people that sow discord among people. God hates those things because of the pain and the trauma and all that it, and it hurts his kids. It hurts people that he loves. And God, that, for that reason, God hates it. But, but, but God loves this world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. Is that, is that too simple? Is that too, too familiar to you? God didn't love it. He so loved it. I love that. He so loved the world that God gave Jesus. Man, what a great gift that is to us. And so we don't have nothing to argue with people about. All we got to do is just lift Jesus up and say, man, he has forgiven you. He loves you. God's not against you. God's for you. And all you got to do is to, to be, have eternal life is put your faith in him. Can somebody say amen? amen? Come on, stand to your feet. If you believe it, give Lord praise. Would you do that? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Father, we love you and we are loved by you and we thank you for that. Help us, God, to walk in the spirit. Help us to be living epistles. Read of all men, living Bibles is what that means. Let them see Jesus in us and what we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say. Father, help us to major on you and minor on things that don't matter. Help us not to be argumentative and hateful and violent and mean. And God, that's not going to win anybody. But help us, Lord God, to just be your ambassadors to declare the truth and the good news of the amazing grace of God. Help us to help people to see it. Because we know that once they see your goodness, your grace, that's going to lead them to change their mind. That's going to lead men. It's your goodness that leads them to repent, to change the way they think about you, themselves, and everybody else.
And that's what I pray for this congregation. I pray that for us. I pray that for this nation. I pray that you would help us, God, to have a revelation of the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let this nation come into that revelation and their identity that's in you, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go and enjoy your day. We love you.